Good morning, church family. That book in the new seats in front of you. Born in Bethlehem of Judea. Now after, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod and the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring, him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening up their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Well, this passage has served as the basis of much of what we think about the Christmas story. Another passage that we often read or think about comes in Luke 2, which records for us that glorious scene where the angels come to the shepherds who watch their flocks by night. And it's passages like these where we see even in, in Christmas programs. My, my son was in a Christmas program this past Thursday, and, and they reenact those glorious scenes that we, we read here and, uh, and, and read in Luke. And we see those in those stories and that we, uh, we revisit, and we seek to capture kind of the joy and the wonder of Christ's birth um, in our uh, singing even. Today, we've been singing lots of, of Christmas carols, and, and we, we sing about this event. And surprisingly, even the world um, gets excited and even captivated by uh, much of uh, this story. Uh, there's a sense of wonder and, and even maybe a bit of fantasy that the world is captivated by uh, when we think of the story of Jesus' birth. Yet while many are entertained by this story few actually come to know the one whom the story is about. The truths of this child being a king, a ruler, a shepherd, and a savior, unfortunately, seldom trigger reverence, joy, and awe, but have become muffled, even emptied and stripped of genuine meaning. The story is perceived as, as though it were an old legend, a tale or a fantasy only intended to produce what we often call the Christmas spirit. Which, what in the world is the Christmas spirit anyway? 
Uh, it's this thing that we, we say that we want to have and experience, but I'm not sure any of us could uh, define. And, and I think as, as close as we get to it is, a, is maybe a spirit of goodwill and generosity toward others. And so oftentimes, I think when we think of the story, when we sing of the carols, when we watch the movies, when we go to the programs, that's all that we take away from it. That spirit of Christmas. It's not necessarily bad. A spirit of goodwill and generosity is a good thing. We, we could use a little bit more of that. Yet the Christmas story, brothers and sisters, is not about a generic response, but a particular response from every person. It is a call, as we're going to see in this passage, to worship this one born of the Virgin Mary. This one who is wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger, of whom the shepherds praise and the wise men adore, and whose name is Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. The one who sits upon the throne of his father David and over his kingdom, and he is going to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. And though we know this, though we know these truths, we too can suffer from a coldness to it, can't we? We too can be numb to this story. We've heard it many times before, especially if you've been brought up in the church. And every Christmas we we read of the Christmas story. And so we can suffer from cold hearts which do not praise Him and honor Him. Such familiarity with the story can actually produce contempt, can it? A disinterest and apathy toward the things of Christ. And for some of you this morning, this describes you. You come out of duty. You come out of routine. And it is the familiarity that has brought discontent, disinterest, apathy as you come to Christ. Maybe so much so that some of you are even wondering Should I even follow Christ anymore? Should I I even sing these songs? Do they have any meaning? Should I even listen to this sermon? More of you are probably asking that question. But maybe you find yourself here this morning. You watch everyone else singing and yet you, you yourself don't sing. You see others with the the, the joy of the Lord, and and yet you yourself do not have it. You see others with their Bibles open wide, trying to to grasp and listen to understand, and and you, you don't. Maybe you are wandering away, because like the seed that has been sown amongst the thorns, the deceitfulness of riches, the cares of the world, have actually captured your heart. And like coals from a leftover fire that seemed at one time to be so hot, now are cold to the touch. This morning as we come to Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, we're presented with the truth that Jesus is the shepherd king born in Bethlehem of whom the nations will come to worship. They will come to worship him. And in representing these foreign nations, representing us, those who are far off from Jerusalem, far off from God, are these wise men that we're presented with. These wise men who come from the east, 
Now, what their number is, we actually don't know. We don't know if there were three or if there was a whole group. But these men were considered sages or, or magi. Those who, get this, study the stars and could interpret dreams. In the ancient world, what would occur on earth, at least on a significant level, uh, the ancient world believed would also be mirrored in the heavens. And so these stargazers, these conjurers, these magicians who would seek to discern divine mysteries by watching the heavens saw a miraculous event occur in the heavens. And that could only mean one thing, that there must have been a remarkable event occurring on the earth, they thought. And remarkably, these pagans who were far from God had discerned correctly that someone remarkable had been born. A king had been born. And we see in this text, in verse 2, where is this one who's been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and notice what their motivation is. We have come to worship him. That is their motivation. And so this morning, as we uh, consider this account of the wise men, we, we see exemplified in their life what it looks like to adore Jesus. If you're one of those here this morning and you have yet to worship, maybe your hearts are cold, maybe you have not prepared your heart to worship, I ask that you will consider these wise men and that you might be numbered among them. That you would find yourself today adoring this king who was born. Because this text not only shows us how to adore Jesus, but it summons us to do the same. It summons us to worship him. Therefore, I want to call us to come and let us adore him. I want us to see what these wise men saw and rejoice in the one in whom they rejoiced. And in order to do that, we must follow in their footsteps. And so here's how I'm outlining this sermon this morning. Their footsteps are that we see is that they diligently seek him, they joyfully behold him, and they humbly worship him. They diligently seek him, they joyfully behold him, and humbly worship him. So let's consider the first of these. And this is true for all of us, brothers and sisters. We must be intentional. If we're going to worship, it doesn't happen by accident. And so we must, if we're going to adore Christ, we must diligently seek him. Now, everything about these magi or wise men in this story is mystifying, isn't it? First of all, they're magi. They're astrologers. They, they, they discern uh, God or divine mysteries by gazing at the stars. Every time that we come across such figures in the scriptures, particularly in the Old Testament, they're actually presented as enemies of God. Did you know that? They're, they're presented as not wise men, but foolish men who gaze at the stars, who are conjurers. They, they, and, and so what are some magicians that I think of? Uh, think about the, the magicians who could not interpret Pharaoh's dreams but they called Joseph up to do so. It's not his pagan dream interpreters who can do it. It's, it's the man of God who's in the cellar. Or you might think of Janus and Jambres who were 
Pharaoh's magicians uh, before Moses, who opposed Moses and, and tried to, to, uh, to replicate the, the miracles that Moses did, but then ultimately could not do so. Or you might think of, of the, the magicians in Nebuchadnezzar's court who were unable to recount the dream, let alone interpret it, but Daniel could do both. And so this phenomenon tells us, or here we see in, these, in this passage, now magi from the east. Possibly they're Persian, maybe Babylonian or Arabian. And so for the first time you're reading this, we know the story. We've only known them as the wise men. But magi are never the wise men in the Bible till this point. And what makes them wise? They're worshipers. They adore Christ. And so these wise men come, and, and what this phenomenon, this startling event tells us is that though this king is born of the Jews, his reign is not limited to them. He is the king of every people. And this is just as the prophets foretold, where when the king would come, the nations would stream in to worship him. So this is exactly what we see. So that's the first mystifying thing. The second thing is that they saw a star. How did they know it was his star? Notice that. Verse 2, we saw his star. I'm baffled. How did they know? How did they know that was the Christ, the Messiah star? What led them to Jerusalem and not Egypt or, or some other place? It's not as if there was a, a Twitter account out there that says, you know, Jesus has been born in Bethlehem. He's the king of the Jews. Well, that makes sense. We saw the star. No, they saw the star and they came to this conclusion. That's mystifying. Matthew doesn't tell us, does he? However, there is one story in the Old Testament which may shed some light. Because we see another magi from the east, a Persian magi named Balaam. You might remember Balaam. He was called from Balak to come and bring curses upon Israel, but he couldn't. He actually could only foretell blessings upon Israel. And he prophesied in Numbers 24, 17 this. Just listen. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. In other words, a star is associated with the coming king of Israel. And perhaps, we don't know, maybe these magi were familiar with Balaam's prophecy in some way. They were Persians, they were Babylonians, and, and, and looking in ancient texts of this prophet that we only see for a moment in a story that possibly they are of his school. Maybe they, they graduated from the great school of Balaam. I don't know. Then there's the matter of the star itself. Commentators have sought to explain this spectacle scientifically, suggesting that the, the Magi must have saw a comet. That's the only thing that, that moves in such a way. Others have, have, have conjectured that uh, it was Jupiter and Saturn, because, and I have no idea how you figure out these things, but uh, we know that in 7 BC that Jupiter and Saturn kind of coordinated together and moved in conjunction. And so people say that must have been what they saw and maybe you've seen when Mars is, is particularly bright or some, one of the planets, and you see and it sticks out just a little bit more. And people say that must have been what it was. But the problem with such speculation is that comets don't hover. They just keep going. Planets don't move like this. 
And this star that we see in this account, well, it appears, then disappears, appears again, and then it leads to a specific house. I've yet to see a star do that. A far better solution is to understand that this is a miraculous act of God. And it's amazing. We've just had one, a virgin birth. But yet we, we want to look for a naturalistic explanation. The possibility is that the Magi saw actually the glory of an angel who was leading them, just like the shepherds, to the birthplace of the Christ. What we know is that these wise men were in some manner received special revelation. That's what we do know. Special revelation from the God that, that from God that the king of the Jews had been born. And they've taken this revelation and they've diligently sought him in order to worship him. Depending on how far east they resided, they may have traveled hundreds of miles, maybe even thousands of miles through deserts and treacherous terrain to worship this king who had been born. And surprisingly, they were the only ones even aware of it when they got to Jerusalem, weren't they? They were the only ones even concerned. And on their pursuit, they arrived in Jerusalem and they exclaimed, where's the king has been born? And everyone was saying, what are you talking about? I say, haven't you seen? We're looking for this king. We know one's been born. Yet notice in verses 3 and 4 that Herod, who has been recognized as the earthly king of Israel, he himself must inquire from the chief priests and the scribes where the Christ is was to be born. He doesn't know the scriptures. But as we're going to learn next Sunday, Herod's pursuit of Christ was not out of a desire to worship him, but a desire to kill him. Nevertheless, what Herod meant for evil, God meant for good. And Herod, through the direction of the chief priests and scribes, he's, he's led to Micah 5, verses 1 through 3, which reads this, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Even the Jewish people knew that when the Messiah comes, like his great-grandfather David, he too would be born in Bethlehem. Yet oddly, Herod doesn't know this. But Herod discovers that the Christ is to be born in Bethlehem. And so we see in verse 7 that he summons the wise men secretly, stealthily. It's as if he, he doesn't want anybody else to know his plan. And we'll talk more about the craziness of Herod next Sunday. But he's up to something. He summons these magi, and he needs now, he knows where the child's going to be born, but he needs to know now when the child has been born. And so he asks them, he says, at what time did you see the star? And in doing so, he discerns where this child and when this child is to be born. And he says, now I want you to go and search diligently for the child. So for a moment, I want you to consider with me the Magi's pursuit and where it leads them. Though it is through strange and perplexing circumstances, the Magi's pursuit of this king actually leads them to the word of God. Do you notice that? They receive a vision of some sort. They, they understand that this star represents the king of the Jews who has been born. <coughs> but they must have the scripture relayed to them before they can find him. They must have the scripture 
And in verses 7 through 8, Herod recounts for them what the Scripture says so that they may know where to find this king. And so, brothers and sisters, I would offer to you, if we are to worship this one, we must be diligent. <clears throat> diligent in our pursuit of Jesus ultimately is going to have to come through his word. And the reason many of you struggle to worship Christ today is because you do not diligently seek him there. You do not pursue to find him where he may be found. Even the Magi's leading by a miraculous star led them to the word of God. <clears throat> so why would you think that God would lead you to find him in any other place? As Martin Luther describes the scriptures, he says, The scriptures are the manger in which the babe of Christ lays. And he's not getting crazy with this text. He's just using it as an illustration. Kind of looks like a manger. You want to find Jesus? Go to the manger. Open up the word and you will find him. But if, but if your pursuit is not motivated by the same diligent pursuit as the Magi, namely a loving desire to worship the one whom the scripture speaks, then brothers and sisters, your pursuit will be no different than Herod's hateful desire to kill him. You see that the same scripture is read by both groups, but yet a totally different response. Herod's hateful desire to kill the one whom the scripture speaks is because he has no desire to worship him. The good news of the king is a threat to him, and it's a threat to some of you. Because you know if he's the king, your life is over. Your rule, you being in control, is no more. And some of you think you can have Jesus and not as your Lord. And you're wrong. And that message will stir up a hatred in you. And so if you do not come to the word of God out of a manner, a posture, a faith, that same word will prove to be a stumbling block to you. It will not be good news to your soul, but a stumbling block and all who stumble upon this stone will be crushed by it. And so I want to appeal to some of you who come here Sunday after Sunday but have no emotion, no worship, no savoring of your Lord Jesus Christ. Where are you diligently seeking Him? What are you diligently pursuing? What is it that you give your time to? And when you come to the Word, do you have any expectation, any desire, any motivation that I want to find this one named Jesus who is the King and I want to worship Him? Or does the only time that you come to the Word is because you're hoping that you can find justification for whatever it is that you want to do? Does the Bible say anything about this? Well, I can't find anything. And you'll say in your blindness. So if you want to find Christ and worship him, this is where your journey must begin. You must come to the word of God and there is no other way. You must submit yourself under it. And you must yield yourself to it. And you must give yourself diligently to it or else you will not see him and let alone worship him. And this is what we see illustrated in these magi. And maybe you're like these this morning. You, you find yourself here this morning, not because I don't think you found a star hovering over this building, 
but you're here. And the Lord has used other means to draw you here, but you have come here and now you are hearing the word of life presented to you. What are you going to do with it? Are you going to disregard it? Because you will be in the in, in square in line with Herod and all Jerusalem with him. Verse 3. Who are troubled by the word. Does the word trouble you? That's an indication of where your heart is. Maybe, though, you're here this morning and you are looking for hope. You are looking for joy. You are looking for this one to worship. And today, brother or sister, you have found him preached from his holy word. And so you must search for him through his word. You must travel whatever distance it requires and diligently mine it to uncover its riches. To put it another way, if you're not searching the scriptures to find your king and master, they will yield you no benefit at all. You will keep on hearing and never hear. You'll keep on seeing but never see. But to the one who by faith says, please show me your glory. As I come to your word, show me. As I listen to it preached, as I go to Sunday school, show me your glory, Lord. I don't see it. Help me. Until you get to that point, you will never see. It will be dead words on a page to you. And nothing else. But to the one who says, please, Lord, show me your glory. You will, with unveiled face, behold the king of glory through his word. The Magi learned through their pursuit that the king was to be born in Bethlehem. But where? Where in Bethlehem? Well, we see that the star appears to them again and leads them directly to Christ where they joyfully behold him. Look in verses 9 and 10. After listening to the king, they received God's word in a very interesting way. They went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the, where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly and with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child. They saw the child. We must joyfully behold him, brothers and sisters. While the text says that the Magi rejoiced exceedingly with great joy when they saw the star, it's not the matter that they saw the star. They had already seen the star. It was a matter where the star had led them. They rejoiced. The star has shown us where the king is. And they rejoiced exceedingly. Do you see that? They're rejoicing because they have found the one whom they have been looking for. The one whom they want to worship. The star had led them directly to the place where the child was and they were ecstatic. They are overwhelmed with emotion. These wise men beautifully illustrate for us the truth of Psalm 37, 4. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. These magi had set their hearts on seeing the king of the Jews. And now their longings had been satisfied. That's where I want to exhort you today. Is that what you set your heart upon? I want to see the king. 
I want to see Jesus. That is my heart's desire. Let me see your glory. And he will give you the desires of your heart. I sure hope you've experienced maybe that wonderful gift before. The gift of the Lord where you've maybe sat under the teaching of his word in some setting, maybe through preaching. I hope it's happened and occurred on a Sunday morning here or maybe in Sunday school or maybe you've been somewhere where the word has been open or maybe you've been privileged to be able to study the word for yourself and you've, you've been studying and wrestling in that moment by which you, you, you burst out in praise. You say, I found it. I see something I've never seen before. I've read this story over and over again. And yet your heart is filled with warmth and joy. Maybe you've experienced that before. And you've wrestled through the word. Like Jacob who'd wrestled with God until he would give him that blessing. You have wrestled with the scriptures. And you have read them and you meditate and you cry out, Lord, what does this mean? Help me understand it. Let me read some more. Let me come back over this. And you are wrestling and, and, and fighting in a sense. You're diligently pursuing. And then that moment that you see in, the, in your eyes almost, it's as if, why did I not see that before? And the Lord in his glory has appeared to you through the pages of Scripture. Notice these magi. They don't just stand and wonder at the star, do they? No, they enter the house to see Jesus. They didn't just rejoice in that they had merely seen the star and concluded, well, that's enough for us. We know where he is at. Well, let's go on our way. No. Their whole motivation from the beginning is we want to see him so we can worship him. And so they rejoice. The star has led us there. We knew it was in Bethlehem, and now we now know the house, and we can walk in and see him. So many of us are content with knowing where to find Christ, but we never want to open up the pages of Scripture to see him. Yep, you can find him there, but I'm not going to open up the door. And we'll go weeks, months, years, and then we wonder why we don't worship why we don't find our joy in him, why we do not savor him, why we do not see him, why we do not walk with him. You have not because you ask not. You have not because you look not. Because you do not see him in the pages of scripture. And you do not open the door where he is laying there for you in all his glory. We have the light of the gospel in the pages of scripture shining forth here. And this is where the Savior resides. And yet we do not behold him with joy because he's not been the desire of our heart. He's not what we're seeking. And again, this is where our motivation for seeing Jesus is essential. If you do not set your heart, if you do not prepare your heart to see him, then when he's presented to you, he'll be of no value. Those of you who are eating this up right now, it's because your heart's been attuned to him. Those of you who are bored to your mind, it's because you give yourself to other things. And it's not because you've got a lame speaker. It's because you don't love the word. He's of no value to the one who does not desire to worship him. How is it that in some of the gospel narratives, when Jesus shows up, some despise him and some cherish him. It's the same phenomenon. 
Some of you despise this time under the word. Some of you cherish it. What's the difference? I think of Zacchaeus. A wee little man was he, right? He couldn't see Jesus over the crowds. That didn't stop him. He climbed the sycamore tree so that he may see him. His desire was, Luke tells us in that passage, I think it's in Luke 19, verse 3, that Nicodemus wanted to see Jesus. Do you want to see him? That's the difference. Everybody else didn't want to see him. Oh, there's a crowd. I'm, uh, no, I don't care. Nicodemus said, I'm going to climb that stinking tree. And you know what he found? Jesus said, I'm staying at your house tonight. Why did Jesus say that to Nicodemus and nobody else? Because nobody else wanted to see him. Do you get it? His desire led him. And he did whatever it took to see him. And he found him. One of the great pleasures a child experiences at this time of the year is the buildup, right? To Christmas. They get built up. They get excited to find on that morning what's lying under the tree. Why is it? Because everything is building the excitement. They wouldn't know about this if we didn't tell them, you know. There's going to be presents under the tree. doesn't matter what's in it. There's going to be gifts for you. And we sing songs and everything about it is building the excitement and we're literally training those hearts. Get excited about this day. Get excited. And for that, that first child who, who, who kind of in that toddler years finally gets it, oh, there's going to be presents. Why is it that they're excited? Because they've set their heart upon it. They've set their heart that there is something to be excited about. And so that morning, they, they can't sleep because they know the arrival has come. And so when they come down those stairs or they open up their bedroom and they come into that area where the tree is, their eyes light up and they see the presence and they say, we have seen enough, let's go back to bed. <laughs> no! They joyfully behold it and they devour the gift. The reason some of you don't love Jesus is because you have not prepared your heart for him. You give it to everything else. You do. We do. We don't find him as our treasure because we don't think there's a treasure there. And so we don't experience that. Yet in the same way, we must become like little children. Isn't that right? Or you will not come to him. Unless you are like one of these little children, Jesus says. Little children who come to Jesus because where your heart is, there your treasure will be also. There your treasure will be also. So my question is, what are you giving your heart to? What is it that you soak up? What is it that is building the anticipation of your every waking moment? What is it that you meditate on? What is it that you pursue? What is it that you're always sat, uh, uh, thinking about and longing for? What is it? Because if you are not beholding and preparing yourself for the glories of Jesus, you won't find him joyful. You won't find him satisfying. You'll find him rather boring. And the last thing that you want. You must prepare your heart. 
So if this is you, let me try to be a little more helpful. If this is you, what can you do? Where, where can you start? Maybe your heart, maybe you're like, I, I, used to, I used to, but my heart has grown cold. I've experienced enough heartache and pain and disappointment. I, I don't worship Jesus. I want to believe, but I don't. Where, where do you start? Where do you go? Well, you just need to answer one question. Do you believe that if you behold him, you'll find joy in him? Do you believe that that is true? That if you could behold him, you would find joy in him? You've got to answer that question. That's basically, do I believe the gospel? Do I believe it's good news? And if you do, you'll go down that journey. You'll pursue him where he may be found. And you'll find him to be the joy of your heart. But if you don't believe he's the treasure and the pearl of great price, if you don't believe that, well then, well then you're not up for the journey. You're not up for the diligent pursuit. You will easily be derailed by the things of this world because it's no value. You don't think there's a treasure at the end of that rainbow. You don't think he is. So you won't sell all your possessions to buy that field where that treasure is and to buy that pearl of great price. You won't do it because you don't think it's a value. But if you believe, yes, if I behold him, blessed is he who sees him. If you believe that promise, though you do not yet have it realized, you will pursue it till you do. You will lay hold of him. That's faith. That's a faith that drives you. These magi heard, the kings here, they want to worship him. They did whatever it took to go find him. And so that's really the seed of faith. Do you believe Jesus is of value? you got to answer that question. Is he of a value that I will abandon everything for him? But you'll only do that if you think that's true. If you don't think it's true, well, then you won't. You will lay hold to your things now and your way now because you think that's a farce. But to us who have believed, it's the power of God. Those of us who believe this is good news of whom the light of the glory of Christ has shined, for those who find him as our treasure out of joy will do whatever it takes to obtain him. We're going to get this. I'm just kind of bleeding you, bleeding the rest of Matthew into this text. Because I do think that these magi serve as an example of how you must approach this book. You must come to him as they came to him. Or you will read this book and you will get nothing from it. You must come humbly as they did. And that's where we find ourselves our last point. This is what we see the magi do as they enter the house. They humbly worship him. They humbly worship him. Verse 11, and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. When we joyfully behold him, we'll humbly worship him. It's actually, you can't really separate the two. I'm actually at the same point, just wording it differently. 
When you joyfully behold him, you'll humbly worship him. It's your natural response. Notice their reaction is immediate. And there's little difference from them greatly rejoicing and opening up the door and seeing Jesus. And they immediately fall down. And they begin to present their gifts to him. So just as, going back to my child analogy, just as the child beholds a present on, Christian, on Christmas morning, there's no separating the joy of seeing those presents and then opening them. Is there? It's the joy that leads them to the gift and to receive it. In the same way, we see Jesus and our hearts will leap for joy and will worship him. I want to give you my all because my heart is satisfied in you. That's worship. That's worship. And so we'll praise him. As this truth of, these, of this passage tells us, we'll praise him because he is the shepherd king who's come to rule his people. We'll say, that's good news. I want his rule. I want him to reign over my life because I know he is a good king. He's the shepherd ruler. We'll see him as Christ and God over all. We'll see him as the son of God who comes to take away our sins. We'll see him as the one who has made the invisible God visible. We'll see him as the one through whom all things were created and by whom all things hold together. We'll humble ourselves before him as the head of the church and the first among many brothers and sisters to be raised from the dead. Knowing that if we're in him, we too will be raised. We'll say, you're worth it. I love you, Jesus. Let this world pass away because you're all that I have. You're all that I want. And yet, I fear that so many of us are like my little babies on Christmas morning. Here's this wonderful gift, and they're still playing with the wrapping paper. Play with the gift, not the box. We understand every good gift comes from our Heavenly Father above, but we, we, we miss the gift giver because we come consumed with the gift. We miss Christ because we're enthralled with the things of this world which are passing away. And they never satisfy, do they? Those of you who are pursuing those things, are you satisfied? Are all your desires ever being reached? You find the joy and peace that you're looking for. You go home at night and say, I'd never do it another way. You have no hopes and dreams because they're all realized. No. No, not at all. Because they never were meant to satisfy. They were meant to point you to the one who could satisfy and only one who can. And so if these truths capture your heart, they'll humble you before Jesus. And they'll cause you to gladly give him all that you have. Now, you may not have treasures such as these magi of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, but I bid you to give him your faith, your love, and your repentance. To give him your life, your love, and your all, knowing that he who loses his life for Christ's sake will gain it. Do you believe that? That is the gospel that we have to remind ourselves of every day. That's why we pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one why we must pray that every day. Lord, do not let my heart become enticed, but please deliver me from that. 
and remind ourselves of the joy that is found in the gospel. And in doing so, you'll find yourself among these magi who, though they were far off from God, you'll be streaming in with them, offering your gifts. You'll give them your life, your love, your all. Your faith, your love, your repentance. You'll give him your all, and it will be not a burden to you. And so by humbly worshiping him, we'll gladly go and do whatever he commands, right? What we see actually at the end of this passage, close my Bible too early. Some of you were excited, weren't you? Um, <clears throat> verse 12, and being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Once you meet Jesus, you don't go the same way anymore. He will command you to go another way. And you'll be willing to do it. That's what happens when we worship. And so this morning, my aim, I'm closing now. My aim has been to exhort us. And really, the Lord's been stirring my heart. Even in my own soul. To, to lay hold of him. To truly cherish him. To worship him. To prepare my heart for him. And it's my prayer and my plead as your pastor to call you and bid you to come and adore him as well. That we may come Sunday after Sunday prepared. Prepared to lay hold of our king as we open up his word. And in doing so, we'll diligently seek him, joyfully behold him, and humbly worship him. And so to that end, I want to invite all to come and do that. All to adore this king in worship. And so if you are here today and think you're a king, you're not. And that's good news. And I want you to know that there is one on the throne who's taken away every sin if you will confess him and give your life and humble yourself like these. And don't leave here. Do not leave here without humbly bowing before him. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to sing, O come, all ye faithful. And I, let, I, I encourage you to make that your prayer. That you're not just bidding all of us to come and you yourself don't come. But that this would be your prayer. That you would be among the faithful who come and say, O come, let us adore him. Let me pray. Father, I pray that we would be captivated. Lord, that we would love you, that we would see you. And Lord, I know there are some here this morning who don't. They open up your word and they do not see. Lord, I beg of you, open up their eyes. Lord, that they would be like these wise men and they would diligently travel whatever distances it requires, the time that it takes until they see with their eyes and they behold you. And they see your glory. That we'd be like Nicodemus and we would not let anything get in our way from seeing you. And whatever time that takes, Lord, I pray that you would grant it. Give us patience, Lord. Give us patience. And Lord, please show yourself to us when we come to the pages of your word. And we pray these things 
with eager expectation so that we may worship you. And all God's people said, amen. Let's stand and let's worship.